Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Rain Date, your local news and information podcast. I'm Josh Popachak, the publisher of Sock and Source and your host of No Rain Date, here with the news headlines for the week ending May 8th, 2021. It's been a very exciting week in Sock and Valley, and I don't mean to be tongue-in-cheek in saying that. It really has been. We had a special recognition this week for a teenager who is a great role model for people of all ages. His name is David Osman, and he's a senior at Saucon Valley High School and a member of the football team there. And David was the recipient of a special proclamation from Hellertown Mayor David Heintzelman. Why? To make a long story short, basically what happened was David was a passenger in a vehicle being driven by his good friend Oscar. Uh, They're both seniors at Saucon Valley. This was April 29th, and Oscar was driving in the area of the Hellertown Pool on Depot Street and suffered a seizure and became unconscious almost immediately while he was behind the wheel of a moving vehicle. So obviously that's something that nobody is ever really prepared for, no matter how much driver's education you may have had. um, You really have to rely on your instincts in that case. And David clearly had great instincts because he was able to safely bring the car to a stop without himself being injured, Oscar being injured, or two pedestrians who were in the path of this out-of-control vehicle. So it was quite a scary time, and within seconds, David was able to take the car over to the curb where its axles ended up on the curb. The car was totaled, but obviously the car can be replaced. The main thing is that nobody was hurt, and it could have been so much worse. That was really brought home during the ceremony that was held at the school with Mayor Heintzelman and a number of David's friends from the football team were present for that. They cheered for him. Saucon Valley Principal Tamara Gary and, of course, Athletic Director Bob Fry were also there. A number of local media were there, in addition to myself. But I got the chance to talk to Oscar and David. And David is a very humble person, modest to say the least. He seemed a bit overwhelmed by all the attention and surprised because this was planned as a surprise for him. I don't think the word leaked out. So he was genuinely a little bit shocked when he came out of the school building. The ceremony took place on the steps uh, or in front of the steps that go into the school. It was just a special event and an honor to be able to cover that kind of story. I wish I got to cover such a positive kind of news every day. It was really uplifting to think about it while I was writing it 
David is going to major in nursing at Wilkes University in the fall where he plans to play football. Oscar is planning to attend Indiana University of Pennsylvania and major in social work. So sounds like they're both headed for great things. Thanks to David's heroism and, and quick thinking, I'm sure they're going to be very successful in, in their future endeavors. We wish them well. Check out our story on Sock and Source, of course, with photos from the event. I think you'll really be touched by this story too. It's a it's a heartwarming story. In other exciting news, and this also has a happy ending, a Hellertown family was rescued after they went for a hike in the Poconos on Thursday and things went awry. The weather was actually quite lovely on Thursday. It was sunny, it was clear, it was a little bit cool, but if you were in the sun it wasn't too bad. Alicia Josephsburg and her two children decided to hike in the area of Glen Anoko Falls, which is in the Lehigh Gorge State Park, very close to Jim Thorpe in Carbon County. They seemed to be prepared for their hike, according to the news report, which was on Channel 69 News, and we picked that up. Alicia had two cell phones with her, and both were charged when she went on this hike. However, Somehow they became out of juice. Uh, They lost their juice and before she knew it, they were dead. And without the phones, she wasn't able to pull up a map to reorient herself as to their location. So they were kind of, you know, dead in the water, so to speak, without the the phones and there was, you know, no no reception there to call out before before the phones died. They tried to find their way uh, out of the area they were in, but it got dark and they were forced to camp overnight on the side of the mountain in frigid temperatures. I'm not sure if it was below freezing on Thursday night, but it certainly could have been in that area. So it was probably a very long night for them. Thankfully, on Thursday morning, uh, Friday morning rather, search crews were out uh, looking for the family and with the use of tracking dogs they located them and they were safe they were probably a bit tired and anxious over their ordeal but they were brought out of the area safely by these rescue crews who really do a great job and perform quite a few rescues at glen anoko every year i should add but they are thankful to be back home this weekend i'm sure Perhaps there's a lesson in this somewhere, you know, you don't really think of people getting lost so close to home or anywhere in Pennsylvania for that matter because it's such a densely populated state, especially this part of the state, but even in 2021 with our technology and our devices, it can happen. So don't take anything for granted. Certainly be careful if you're planning a hike tell friends where you're going so they know to look for you if you don't come home at the time when you're expected to be home. You should maybe carry some type of printed map in an area where the reception may be poor because you can't count on a map on your phone if it's only accessible via the internet in that case. So some lessons to be learned from that and and we're thankful for for the rescuers and that the Josephsburgs are safe. 
In police-related news, the Richland Township Police Department has been investigating a serious pedestrian accident that occurred on Mill Road west of Route 309 on Thursday. This is near Quakertown. Police initially reported that a man was found injured and they weren't even initially sure if there had been a hit and run accident involving a vehicle, but they put out a news release on Thursday requesting that anyone who lives in that area review surveillance footage if they have it. I'm guessing that happened because on Friday, the police issued another news release in which they announced that they've issued an arrest warrant for Joel McGriff, who is a 40-year-old resident of Milford Township. He is being sought on charges related to this serious pedestrian accident. Police said a 70-year-old man was injured. He was found, quote-unquote, down in his yard. It sounds like the injuries are quite serious. He was taken to St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem, and police said he has undergone several surgeries as a result of the injuries he suffered in the accident. So that's a case that we'll probably be continuing to follow. We certainly wish the gentleman who was hurt a full recovery from his injuries. In real estate news, we had a big story this week about the Champion Spark Plug Factory, which is a landmark in Hellertown. Champion is located at the very northern tip of the borough, right next to the I-78 overpass on Route 412. If you've ever gotten onto I-78 at Hellertown or off it, you've probably driven by the Champion building, which is vast. The building itself is over 100,000 square feet in size, and the property is nearly eight acres. Champion was a manufacturer of spark plugs in Hellertown from about 1930 to the early 1980s and from the early 30s until the mid-1970s there was quite a bit of environmental contamination that occurred on that property. As a result in the early 1990s the Champion property became a Superfund site so it was under the jurisdiction of the Environmental Protection Agency There was a federally mandated cleanup that began in 1992, and that only ended about seven or eight years ago, according to the EPA records that I reviewed. However, monitoring of the site is ongoing. Uh, What is all this leading up to? Well, earlier this year, the property, which has been privately owned since the late 80s by the same family, was put up for sale. Now, there was no listed price for it, but this week an under contract sign appeared on the for sale sign outside Champion. So everybody is very curious to find out more about who may be buying the property and what their plans for it may be. It's in a critical location for the borough. It's at the northern gateway to town. It's a large property that could accommodate significant development But of course, the environmental concerns are still present. The EPA in 2013 declared that the property was suitable for redevelopment. However, the monitoring, as I said, continues. And every five years, there is a report created uh, regarding the conditions 
that are present on the property. It's not the type of land that might appeal to any developer, but it's certainly a large parcel, like I said. And 10 years ago, when Hellertown hosted a symposium paid for by the EPA, the Champion property was one of three properties that were highlighted as potentially significant for redevelopment. The others were the former Salconia movie theater, known as the movies for many years. That property has been adapted for reuse, and today it is home to a dentist and a salon, B.B. Deshane Fine Men's Salon. We've had B.B. Deshane, Brittany Deshane, on as a guest in the past. The other property is the old Chromium factory on Front Street, which has not been redeveloped. The Champion site could host a number of types of businesses. In 2011, when that symposium was held, architect Kim LeBrake, who is a friend, was present and, and she suggested possibly turning it into a type of technology incubator for businesses. And I could see that being um, a really positive d- type of development for the Hellertown area. Of course, when we shared this story on Facebook, a lot of retail uses were suggested by our followers. I think I read somebody even suggested a public supermarket. Publix, uh, I don't think, has any supermarkets north of the Florida-Georgia line. So <laughs> that's probably wishful thinking, but retail could could end up being placed there. Perennial request by Hellertown residents is a Wawa or a Sheets, these you know mega convenience stores, a hotel. There are other hotels in that area being right off 78 and close to the Wind Creek Casino in Bethlehem. The site would be appealing for its location to many developers, I would imagine. So we'll obviously continue to follow that story and we hope to find out more about who has purchased it. And as soon as we do, we will report on that. A lot of events are coming up in the borough, or in the Saucon Valley rather. One of them is a spring yardways pickup. Normally that takes place a little bit earlier, probably because of everything going on related to COVID and, and things getting up and running again. It's, it's happening a little later this year. The borough announced this week that a curbside spring yardways pickup borough-wide will be held the week of June 21st. And we have an article about that. Information in it includes how to prepare your yard waste for pickup. For example, it can't be placed in plastic bags. If you do that, they won't pick it up. It has to be in biodegradable paper bags or containers. And only certain types of yard waste are accepted. So definitely educate yourself about the process before you put it at the curb for pickup. The schedule will generally follow the schedule for trash collection in the borough, but as I said, it's not until the end of June, so uh, there's still plenty of time to clean up your yard and get it looking nice and have the yard waste ready to go for pickup. Another event to look forward to is the opening of the Hellertown Pool on June 12th, and related to that, Pool passes are going on sale at Borough Hall on Tuesday, May 11th. These are the season passes that are very popular. 
among many residents, and they are also available to non-residents who pay a somewhat higher price for them. We have information about the rates in our story about the yard waste pickup. The pool passes will be available for purchase every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday during specified hours. That information is included in the story. They will also be on sale at Burr Hall on the opening day, June 12th. I know a lot of people are looking forward to this year's summer swim season after 2020 when there was none due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we'll certainly be at the pool's opening, taking some photos of everybody splashing around and having fun. The pool is open daily from noon to 7 p.m. from June 12th to August 22nd this year. So it's not a real long season. It's about two and a half months. Of course, the hours are weather permitting, but hopefully we won't have a a rainy summer and those who purchase season passes will get their money's worth. We also recently had a story about some positive changes that will be happening at the concession stand. The borough recently received a grant for American with Disabilities Act upgrades to the concession stand. So that's something to look forward to. I'm not sure if that will happen in time for this summer season, but certainly beyond 2021, those will be in place. And the pool is a real Hellertown treasure, I should add. It is over 80 years old. It was built at the tail end of the Great Depression. I believe the cornerstone says 1939, so it opened just before World War II, and it's still one of the biggest pools in the Lehigh Valley. It's a remarkable size given the fact that the borough at that time was only home to several thousand residents. So uh, it's, it's much loved by borough residents and residents from outside the borough. It's, it's got a very strong connection with Hellertown and its location next to Dimmick Park is also, I think, one of the most attractive features about it because you can sort of make a day of it when you visit the pool. You can enjoy time at the beautiful playground, uh, the new playground in the park. There's a pavilion there to, you know, eat lunch at. So it's just a great location. Speaking of Dimmick Park, something new that's coming to Hellertown this year is an outdoor production of the musical Godspell that will be taking place in June. This is being organized by Saucon Valley High School choral director, and longtime director of musicals at the high school, Chad Miller, and some others, and we have a story about that. It's definitely going to be something fun for the family to enjoy, so mark your calendars. I believe the date is June 18th. And another event in June that is happening in Hellertown and Lower Saucon is the Saucon Valley Community Yard Sale. Again, this did not happen in 2020, If you have two years worth of items that you would rather part with, this is your your big opportunity. Typically, during the community yard sale, over 100 homes participate. I know there's a lot of interest this year because I've already received emails from close to 10 people, I would say, 
asking to be put on the map that we're going to create and we'll publish that the week before the yard sale. The yard sale is again sponsored by Trish Houston of Coldwell Banker, Harside Realtors in Hellertown. Uh, Trish and I have known each other for many years. Uh, she's a big supporter of the community and enjoys putting this together. She's also a, an antique lover like I am and, and she actually owns an antique store in Pineville in Bucks County. So the Hellertown Community Yard Sale is a great event to hunt for antiques at. I'll probably be out doing that a little bit. I'm excited to, to help share information about it. I, I certainly hope that everybody is safe and following precautions for COVID. If they're participating by holding a sale or just shopping at it, many of the restrictions in Pennsylvania are going to be lifted I believe June 1st, so just before this takes place. However, the mask requirement will still be in place and probably social distancing as well. We are seeing more people get vaccinated, but there is vaccine hesitancy still, and that's going to continue to be an issue into the summer. I read that another issue relates to the fact that many people are skipping their second dose thinking that the first dose is enough. That's not really recommended. If you get a first dose, you should follow through and get your second dose. According to the CDC, once you have your second dose, you are as safe as you can get via the vaccine, which has a a 95% effectiveness, I believe, with two doses. So definitely follow through when you have your second dose appointment. Those are the headlines for this week, episode 53, the week ending May 8th, 2021. Thank you for joining us. And for more local news, be sure to read SockAndSource.com. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service. And we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money. And that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source. And we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. 
Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure this week on No Rain Date to welcome two special guests. They are from the Delaware and Lehigh National Heritage Corridor. Kelly Federico is the Gifts and Development Manager and Kathleen Ward is the Conservation Coordinator for the Corridor. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Josh. Yes. Of course, I'm a big fan of of the Heritage Corridor. Growing up, I spent a lot of time walking along the canal paths, especially in the here in the Lehigh Valley. And one of my earliest experiences was was going to the Hugh Moore Canal Park and riding on one of the the mule barges a long time ago. But that's still a, an attraction. Can you start off by sort of talking a little bit about? the canals themselves and how they came to exist here in eastern Pennsylvania? Sure. So I preface this with the caveat that I am by no means a historian, but the canals were built to move coal from the northern region around Wilkes-Barre, around Muldern County, move it down into the industrial quarters of the Lehigh Valley, through Northampton and Lehigh County, and then it was traveled down to Bristol and in Bucks County. So the canal was a transportation corridor. It it became in that period of time between, you know, where you'd have to go town to town. And then there was the canal that was built, which was then, the canal era is not super long, but then the, the railroad would come in and they actually repurposed some of that area where you would see the rails with trails kind of up north and, and in, other, in other areas. It's interesting because the, the canal itself is really an engineering marvel. So it was in, in the Lehigh Valley area built by private entrepreneurs who were looking for a way to utilize the power of the, the rivers and specifically in this area of the Lehigh River to move goods and people throughout the, throughout the corridor. So there are a series of, of locks spanning the the canal from the north all the way down. Now it's the Lehigh Canal here, and then it does transition over to the Delaware Canal and follows the Delaware River down in Bucks County. But that was the original intention of the canal. Probably in, in Victorian times, they were used more as recreational areas. We have wonderful artifacts from Lewis Comfort Tiffany, who actually did his honeymoon on a canal boat trip down the canal. So that was kind of the evolution of the canal in the area. One of the things that I love about CNL is that one of our core parts of our mission is celebrating our industrial heritage. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've heard that I just love is that when you walk on the CNL trail, it's like you're walking on the backbone of what was once the vital transportation network of canals and railroads. And you really see that. And so I think as someone who grew up in the coal regions, I really love that I could get to enjoy nature and see and envision that what was. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. It is very evocative when you're on along the canal and, and there's also a lot of 
like great signage and, and also historic buildings in many cases directly along the canals. You know, the locks are preserved, right? And the, mm-hmm. the, the homes, I guess some of them maybe are, are private residences today, but, but you, you can see them and, and sort of that atmosphere, you know, is part of the, the whole experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in Bethlehem, you could see what were old trail tender houses and some of the old preserved lock tender houses, the remnants are being helped and facilitated by volunteers and trails are being maintained by volunteers. And so, you know, it really takes a community to do all this good work. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, because we're talking, we're not talking about the canal that's just a few miles long. We're talking about like it's about 165 miles altogether. Is that that's right? Yes, when the DNL Trail is connected, it will be more than 165 miles. So the corridor itself is going to take a couple of different routes to get the trail done, but in that ballpark, yes. Right. So it's yeah, it's a significant chunk of eastern Pennsylvania. You have some great maps on your website, uh, I I should add, for people to sort of orient themselves with the canal because they may not be familiar with, they may be familiar with the part in their backyard, but not the entire length of it. And I know that that I certainly wasn't. I uh, was mainly familiar with the part between Bethlehem and Easton as a kid. But, But there are three regions that the corridor is divided into, the Delaware Canal region along the Delaware River, the Lehigh Valley region, and then the Anthracite region, which is sort of the coal region and the Poconos. Can you talk a little bit about the three regions and sort of like what defines them and and what makes them each like a unique area within the corridor? Oh, sure. Yeah. Each one has really a different kind of flavor and landscape when you come to even what businesses you'll find along the trail where you'll see the trail going in somewhere up north, like in Lehigh Gorge State Park, where it is very far apart from any population centers versus where the DNL Trail goes in downtown Allentown in Canal Park. And you wouldn't even know that you are in the middle of Allentown because it is a peaceful oasis. Mm. So it, it really varies wonderfully throughout the different regions, which I really enjoy. Up north, we have a lot of anthracite coal regions, so you have a lot of small towns that are founded along railroads, a lot of businesses. Ecotourism is very, very popular up in that area. We actually have about 25% of our our trail-friendly businesses say they plan to expand because of the trail, especially with people using the trail more during the pandemic, that people have flocked to their businesses as well. In the Lehigh Valley, one of my great favorite features would have to be some of the old cement kilns. We have these really incredible, incredibly rare cement kilns that are located in Northampton. I think the vestiges of some of the industrial heritage pieces really my favorite in, in the Lehigh Valley region. And then Bucks County, that's an area where the, the canal is watered, so it's topographically really different. You can really get up close to the canal. It's a very, very tight distance between the DNL Trail and the canal. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a really wonderful area to do something like bike and boat, where you do some in the canal, which is a wonderful place to, wonderful, calm place 
to go kayaking or canoeing, and then doing some biking as well. So that's a little bit about kind of what makes the three regions unique. They're all really a strong sense of place that we find when we are in these different communities like Whitehaven up in the north or Upper Black Eddy down in the south, where people are very, very proud of their surrounding area, of the trail, of the, of the green spaces, and really understand that it is a wonderful asset for all to enjoy and to make life better in Pennsylvania. So. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought up ecotourism because that, that is a big trend and I think grew significantly during the pandemic, as you mentioned. And I have the sense that Jim Thorpe has really, you know, become a hub for that because there's so many outdoor activities that that you can branch out on from there and so that's pretty cool the trail does have like great economic value for the for the communities along it as you said during the pandemic many more people were you know looking to spend time outside because there weren't a lot of other things to do do you have a sense of how much tourism increased along the corridor in the past year especially in 2020 i will say from our trail-friendly business partners, specifically those who are in any type of bike sales or rental equipment, they were sold out of everything at all times. It was a struggle to find a bike, camping equipment, everything like that. They were continually selling out. They actually know a couple of bike shelters just starting to get bikes back into stock, but it's still such a hot item that people are just, the demand is huge now. I did hear about that. If I could add on to that, we have been placing trail counters Mm -hmm. at various trailheads, and we are right now gathering up that data and doing a comprehensive survey of that. So soon we will probably release that information. We don't have it now. I don't have it for this phone conversation, but we will have that. I will tell you also that aside from the entire DNL Trail, DNL National Heritage Corridor, the organization, is also involved with partners in supporting the link. And that's a branded promotion of all the trails in northern Northampton and Lehigh counties. And that's 125 miles of all the trails that connect and are part of the multi-use trails in the area and mm-hmm. so some of them connect some of them don't connect we like to think that the dnl trail is kind of the spine along that that also includes the stock and rail trail yes. um, which doesn't connect but the larger point to covid is that all the trails had experienced unbelievable use during 2020 during covid so much so that the link as a group had responded to that. And maybe you noticed our billboards and we had put out items asking people to, you know, respect the trails, to maintain social distance. And then lots of groups, we provided funding. Lots of groups did things like provided trail bike safety checks to, you know, help people who were out on the trails for the first time. So there, there was lots of new people out on the trails. Mm. And we hope they'll stay out on the trails. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I'm glad you brought that up because, like you said, even though some of the trails don't physically connect, they're, they're in close proximity, and certainly the people that are using them care about, you know, all of the trails in the area, and, and hopefully, you know, more connections will be forged in the future. I, I know that the Sock and Rail Trail eventually is supposed to connect with the Southside Greenway in Bethlehem, and, and it's a lengthy process to orchestrate that due to rights of way and and things like that but that will bring it pretty close to the dnl on the other side of the river in bethlehem so we'll take it (laughs) yeah and you know the dnl through the link is really helping to make that connection happen and those are lengthy conversations that happen over years I heard your podcast last week with Chris Coker from Wildlands Conservancy, mm-hmm. and he talked about how it takes years sometimes to have conservation easements or conservation land protections take place. That you plant the seed and you see how it grows, but sometimes you plant the seed and see how it grows, and it just happens by itself. And sometimes you're just on it, you know, making things happen in the background. And sometimes there's a little bit of both. You know, please know that, you know, we're trying to make that happen in background throughout the years, and we're we're hopeful that that connection will happen eventually. That's, That's another great point. Yeah, I mean, I think people are generally aware of that, but, but, the, the time I've, I've noticed can vary significantly depending on, on just how things go. I know when the Sock and Rail Trail was being built, luckily everything just sort of fell into place and it was almost in record time that they were able to open it, but that's not the norm. And like you said, in many cases, it's it's you're counting the time in years. So you definitely have to be patient, I guess, to work in, in, in your field, but but it does pay off in the end. In terms of the actual physical, you know, maintenance of the of the canal and the trails, like what are some of the challenges cuz I know like like for example weather or flooding can like have a huge impact on those resources and and the accessibility to them. So like is there anything that you're able to do to sort of protect them from those extreme weather events or is that even something that's that's on the radar for the dnl that's a great question the dnl trail is actually not owned by us the delaware and lehigh national heritage corridor incorporated Mm -hmm. it's owned by a partnership of 30 different landowners And what we do is help organize those landowners. We advocate, we help make the land transactions happen. We monitor the trail, we organize volunteers. And when we see that something's going on in the trail, we notify the landowner. So, you know, we can't stop floods. Um, We can only help repair. We could help if we see something's constantly happening in one flood-prone area, we could maybe try to work to possibly purchase land in very rare cases to divert the trail. That's a great question. It's a hard question, though. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you can't put a tarp necessarily over the trail. (laughs) Right. And that's where 
trail take maintenance? You know, again, I'm going to go with the stock and rail trail. The stock and rail trail has been in place for 10 years and has done, you know, because it's in your backyard, so I'm referencing it. They've done a great job in constantly repairing the stock and rail trail, but it takes maintenance and takes love and care. We've worked with uh, landowners to get funding for equipment that is used to clear the trail. I know after Tropical Spermizeza, we were also able to provide some funding to municipalities to, to recover after that because that was substantial. But that that is definitely something that we are looking to be able to support to make sure that the trail is able to have the resources needed to maintain it in the future. Yeah, I guess that was sort of my thinking, just that like if there's any kind of preventive maintenance that that can be done or, or protective maintenance, I'm sure it would be a lot cheaper than trying to repair the section of trail that was, you know, washed away or, you know, something like that in one of these weather events that seem to be more extreme and more frequent. And with more people using the trail, the trails every year too, I'm sure that, that, that that's something that you'll, you know, be examining. In terms of the the Lehigh Valley area, one of the premier uh, or landmark locations along the trail is the Canal Museum. Can you tell us a little bit about the Canal Museum, which is also sort of here in our backyard in Northampton County and, and what visitors can enjoy there? Sure. So the, the National Canal Museum is located in, in Humor Park in Easton. It is a beautiful island park that was originally a, an iron furnace area. So there's different formations and still the relics of like the industrial path that we've talked about here, right outside the National Canal Museum. Inside, you will see artifacts from individuals that worked on the canal, that lived on the canal. Whole families would work on a canal boat, the kids as well. So we have some, we have a, a mule. You can learn how to harness a mule. There is a interactive tiller that you can be a canal boat captain and you can learn how to navigate the canal. We have a water table which guests can use to create their own canal, learn about where water tends to flow and how to increase the flow, decrease the flow. We also have you can build bridges and a lot of interactive elements that we are maintaining safely during the pandemic as well. And then there's also the Josiah White too, which is our canal boat, which is really, I think you can't go to the National Canal Museum and not ride on the canal boat. <laughs> it is a very peaceful tour up the canal to the, the Lock Henders House, which is still maintained as a, as a piece of the National Canal Museum. It is pulled by our mules, Hank and George. They've been with us, I believe, I believe Hank is, is 19 at this point. They're both in excellent health. During the canal boat ride, you really learn about what life was like and how people adapted and used technology and ingenuity to really make, make things easier and to, to really get the job done. So the, the National Canal Museum is also featuring an exhibit right now our special exhibit is on canals and pop culture. Mm. Um, so we have impressionist paintings with canals. We have some of our famous Miles to Mule figurines that are in the exhibit. And we have some um, storybooks that have canals in them. So it's a really interesting exhibit about how 
canals have affected movies, paintings, local culture, that kind of thing. So we always have a current exhibit, so that's one of the issues things that you can do as well. Very cool. Yeah, the the mules. So the mules, Hank and George, they live at the at the museum, and they're tended to there. So right now, Hank and George actually they're still at their winter home, which is a farm in Williams Township. <laughs> um, they come back to the museum when we do boat rides. We are hoping to have word on those soon. But when they come back, they live in a stable up by the lock tender house. And then down by the museum, which is a little farther down on the show path, they have a, a corral where they run around and they can snack on grass and things like that. And if you come to the National Snow Museum, you can meet Heck and George when they do come back, which will be very soon. So That's something to look forward to, definitely. And it's a great, if you're, if you're stressed or, you know, the rat race, you know, is getting you like anxious like definitely a canal boat ride you know should be part of the prescription because mm-hmm. it's, it slows no things down it's just all mule. yep yeah it's very peaceful to to be on one of the, to be on the josiah white um, definitely i wanted to uh talk a little bit about the partnerships that you have with local with with other organizations and businesses and and can you explain how those work and and how they benefit the the National Heritage Corridor? Well, let me first talk about Lehigh Valley Greenways. We are very fortunate to be the organization that is the external lead for a conservation landscape, the Lehigh Valley Conservation Landscape. The state of Pennsylvania has eight conservation landscapes throughout the state and they work together for strategic initiatives and to create really good sustainable conservation community revitalization recreational projects and so Lehigh Valley Greenways is a group of about 25 organizations that has county participation municipalities and great nonprofits like DNL, Lehigh Gap Nature Center, Wildlands, and Watershed Coalition of the Lehigh Valley. We work together on projects. We also are able to give out, this year we're giving out $75,000 in mini grants to small projects throughout the Lehigh Valley, and we're going to announce them soon. So that's an exciting initiative that DNL is proud to host. We also do great things like Get Your Tail on the Trail, which is a partnership with St. Luke's, and that is encouraging people to go out and explore the trail and use fun things like an app and get out there and explore. We also have our trail-friendly businesses, which we partner with local recreation businesses up and down the trail. and. Trail users could go in, fill up their water bottles, fill up their bikes with air if needed, and with some of them get food discounts. Kelly, anything to add here? Our partnership with uh, with Trail Town, which is communities along the trail, they're looking to become more trail friendly and 
understand the benefits that a connected trail and attractive trail can bring to their communities, both residents and visitors. So we work with, uh, I know recently we've been working with Whitehaven to really bring forth their, uh, their trail town assets. Another trail town is um, Lee Heighton's a wonderful example of a great trail town, really a place that has understood the value of having the trail right there. So that's another one of the programs I'm really, really proud of as far as a partnership with um, local municipalities. Very interesting stuff. I mean, I, I I'm not I had not heard of the Trail Towns program before, um, but that sounds like a a concept that makes a lot of sense. And as far as uh, Lehigh Valley Greenways, which you you mentioned, I know there's a page on your website that describes that a little bit more, and and how the partnership is set up, which, like you said, is is focused on environmental stewardship and and also improving public health by linking different communities through outdoor spaces. So our listeners can learn more about that um, on the Delaware and Lehigh National Heritage Corridor website, which is delawareandlehigh.org. In terms of events, obviously COVID-19 put a a damper on them in 2020, and and a lot of things had to be canceled. I know the uh, half marathon that that you normally hold uh, was canceled last year, but you are planning that for 2021 in the fall, and and what are are the other things looking like for the summer and fall? Yes, so right now we are planning on having our half marathon in the fall, and an event that we'll be continuing from 2020, which was our uh, replacement for the half marathon, which is the Trail Challenge. We really found a lot of really great new users, and it was a really wonderful online community engagement and and challenge. So we will be doing the the Trail Challenge and the Half Marathon in the fall. We are looking to have small in-person events at the National Canal Museum. We do um, Kids on the Canal every other Saturday when the museum is open. And these are different educational opportunities and activities that we have for kids. I also want to add that we have a volunteer event that's very important for both us and for our partners. So many Saturdays, we want to have volunteer cleanup. And so that just is our volunteers gathering at, say, maybe Sand Island in a coordinated way, of course, and um, going out and doing a cleanup. So if anyone wants to volunteer, it's www.delawareandlehigh.org volunteer and our partners also very much need volunteers and so I encourage everyone to go to Lehigh Gap Nature Center, Wildland and Watershed Coalition of the Lehigh Valley for volunteer purposes. Great yeah I was going to ask you about how how somebody can get involved if they if they want to volunteer so definitely check out their website for more information about that. And then in terms of financial support, I know that that that's also critical. How does funding work in general? And then how how can individuals or businesses support you? We are supported through a variety of different methods from um, federal funding through grants. We also receive funding through um, DCNR. 
and then we have corporate partners and we have individuals. We also have we have memberships, so if you would like to become a member, uh, it becomes it has many different benefits, including unlimited admission to the museum and boat rides and other discounts on great events like our half marathon and our dinner cruises. I would recommend going to DelawareInLehigh.org slash support. There are many different ways that we can work together. Uh, there's, of course, monetary contributions, which are always appreciated and accepted. There are in-kind services that we might be looking for. And volunteering is another way to really get back and get involved. We have a lot of outdoor and remote opportunities as well. With supporting, you can actually make a gift to the trail in your area, and it supports programming and enhancements along the trail. So you can give to a couple of different, we have education, National Town Museum, but also if you'd like to make an impact on the trail in your area, you can donate to that specifically. And I would be remiss if I didn't let you know that Lehigh Valley Greenways has a green retail program, which is a checkout charity at um, various outdoor recreation shops like Hurt Cyclery, Cutter's Bike Shop, East and Outdoor, Stockton Valley Bike. Mm -hmm. And so if you are buying a bike helmet and you want to um, give a dollar or two that directly supports trails and parks in the Lehigh Valley, you can ask at the um, at the at the check at the register to give to the Lehigh Valley Green Retail Program, and that goes directly to support trails and parks. Thank you for mentioning that. That's a great program, and and I did cover that when actually they launched it at Saucon Valley Bikes back in 2019. So. Well, thank you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and and we'll uh, we'll include a link to that too in the description for this podcast episode so our listeners can can learn a little bit more about it in terms of the the other businesses that are that are on the trail is there like or or that are trail friendly businesses is there like a list of those on the website or so that because supporting them is is obviously important too yeah i i i would recommend anyone who is either new to the trail or wants to learn more about the trail is to head to our online trail map it can give you distances between different trailheads, but also points of interest along the way, as well as trail-friendly businesses. Okay. Um, and then if you do go to the website, there is a longer list that is just the trail-friendly businesses by region. So you can search that way as well. Awesome. That's, that's great to know. And I would be remiss to not mention one of our events that is coming up on May 1st. That is the start of the Get Your Tail on the Trail 165 Challenge. So that is, you sign up as part of Get Your Trail on the Trail, and the goal is to log 165 miles. There's a really wonderful active community on social media that supports Get Your Trail on the Trail users. So if you would like to get involved Get Your Trail on the Trail, or if your um, business would like to organize a Get Your Trail on the Trail group, you can go to tailonthetrail.org and sign up there as well. Cool. No, that's a great that's a great idea. I think Soft and Source should organize a tail on the trail group for just to to kind of close things out. Can you? I, I know you have a great newsletter. For one thing, I would encourage all of our listeners to subscribe to that, which you can do uh, on the website DelawareAndLehigh.org. But you also have social media where people can 
stay connected, right? Uh, Instagram, Facebook. YouTube. Mm -hmm. YouTube. So subscribe to those channels because like you clearly have a lot going on and, and a lot of a lot of change but it, exciting change coming up this year so check out those channels and anything else yes i think um another another resource that we haven't talked about is the enl trop trail guidebook which is our first comprehensive guidebook about the trail it's over 100 pages of trip planning resources, different natural information, information about trail towns. So that's available for purchase on the DNL um, of the website. We also have a digital version as well, but that has been an incredibly popular publication. People that, you know, have been associated with the organization for a long time um, have said that they're learning new things. So that's a really wonderful companion piece if you'd like to learn more about the DNL trail as well. Yeah, definitely uh, check out the, the guidebook. I'm going to try and pick up a copy of that. <laughs> Is that a kitty cat? <laughs> what else would it be? <laughs> Time for some, some attention, Mom. Uh, I'm with you because like, I have two, two myself, and they're, they're the same way. Well, thank you both so much for, for joining us. We might have to do a part two because there's so much so much going on in terms of the, well, starting with the history, but then, you know, right now you have a lot of exciting initiatives and partnerships. I think I'm going to have to do an article too about, about some of these things. Like I definitely want to write about trail towns and, and, and maybe the get your tail on the trail 165 challenge would be fun to write about so sort of continue the exposure that way but i really do appreciate you you coming on and, and sort of giving our listeners a, a taste of what has been happening and what nature enthusiasts in our area can look forward to and uh and certainly i would encourage all our listeners to support the delaware and lehigh national heritage corridor either monetarily or through volunteering or, you know, and most of all, simply just get out there and, and enjoy nature because this is a fabulous time of year to do it. It is. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Josh. Thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Sure. We've been recording No Rain Date since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.